electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The rally, stocks trying to build on last week's gains in a big week for your money. The CPI looming large earnings starting. We debate with the investment committee whether this move can really last and if so, for how long. Joining me for the hour today, Jason Snipe, Stephen Weiss, Joe Terranova and Liz Young. We're just past 12 in the east. I'll take you to the wall and show you what stocks are doing. And we're doing pretty good today. 251 for the Dow, 33.8, S&P 500, 39.46. So we've moved considerably away from that 3,800 anchor. That's one and a third percent. NASDAQ having a big day. 351 is the yield on the 10-year note. So, Joe Terranova, is it time to rethink stocks in the near term? Because the narrative has been you're going to have a tough near term and then maybe you can have a good second half. And we've discussed whether maybe that's backwards because the inflation data is starting to cooperate in a fairly substantial way. Okay, so the way in which I'm personally invested, obviously, I want this to be a good first half of the year. But I am invested in a way where today... I'm underperforming because what is today all about? Today, today is the revenge of high beta. That's what's going on right now. And it's interesting because if you study the three major indexes, you've got the S&P and everyone looks at the moving averages, the 5,100 and 200 day moving averages. OK, they're all kind of bunched on top of each other. They're stepping on each other. You look at the Dow Jones Industrial. Well, the Dow is actually above all of its major moving averages, but it's the Nasdaq. Guess what? The Nasdaq is still below its 50, still below its 100, still below its 200 day. So understand the environment of now. You could have further carry through based on where price is relative to those moving averages for the Nasdaq for a lot of the high beta names. I just don't I'm not comfortable right now being in those names. I don't want to be there. But there could be follow through for right. sure. You got a dangling earpiece. You I do. Know, you fix that right now because if it's Thank distracting to me, I can only imagine what the people at home are, are They're thinking looking at my gorgeous right now. It's like flying away I, I on you. So fix that. We'll go to Liz it. Young. We'll, we'll, we'll help you out here and take the camera shot off you while you do that. So, Liz, Tom yeah. Lee, I mean, I couldn't help but acknowledge it. It was like flying all over the place. Uh, so Tom Lee today says the first four days, right, uh, is strong omen. He said it implies plus 23% gain. By the way, Tom Lee's on overtime today, so we're going get, to get down and dirty on that prediction for stock. But Stiefel, Stiefel today says there's a window uh, as well to get to 4,300 by the second quarter of 2023. What do you make of that? Sharply lower inflation, they say, a Fed rate pause, no official recession. Like I said, that plays into that opening question. Time to rethink the near term. Look, I think it's possible and, and probable that inflation comes down pretty well in the first half. It might come down very, very quickly, and the market is going to cheer that. I think the move today, the move on Friday, was really predicated almost solely on the fact that wage growth 
relaxed. Mm -hmm. And we got this jobs data on Friday that kept the hope for a soft landing alive. The only thing I would caution people on is that the stock market and wage growth alone does not reset the economic cycle, does not solve all of the problems that we have. The risk of a wage price spiral maybe got reduced for a little while, but that doesn't mean that the risk is gone. And what we're seeing right now, especially in some parts of the labor market, definitely parts of the consumer data, is that economic data is weakening. It's probably going to continue weakening, and we can't have it both ways. If you want inflation to come down, you have to bring demand down. That affects consumer spending. That affects corporate profits. I don't think we've seen the end of the bad news. Okay. Uh, so, Steve Weiss, I turn now to you. Our resident hater turned day trader. Only of you, Scott. Turned day trader now. Um, because Mr. Negative is actually looking for opportunity, it seems, in this market. You bought the S&P 500, the VOO, this morning. You bought Microsoft on Friday. We'll start there, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go further than that. But are you rethinking the near term for stocks? You must be in some sense if you did that. You know, I, I think that I'm more appropriately categorized, again, with the exception of you, as not being a hater, but being somebody who likes to make money, yet, yet not at the risk of losing money when I don't have to. So sure, you have to take bets, and there's always the chance you're going to lose money. After all, the best investors only make or only write 60% of the time or so. But the market continues to look at single data points, and Liz just put it absolutely perfectly, much more articulate than I could do, as, no as we've seen by both of us. <laughs> Go ahead. But Carry yeah, on. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. So, so the bear case, the bull case rather, was always, who doesn't know that rates are going up? So you got to buy the market. Well, who doesn't know that inflation's going down? And when you looked at the numbers on Friday, you saw one positive data point in a sea of negative data points in the current report, which was that you had jobs, better, higher, more jobs than anticipated. You had a lower uh, job unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. But then you had some revisions, which sort of put me over the edge in addition to the wage number being slightly lower. So I said, look, the markets look for opportunities to go up. It's still a trader's market. Part of my portfolio is long term, but I'm also, you know, I can trade. So Microsoft, as I look at it, Microsoft in these environments trades higher. When things like this happen, when the mark goes there, it goes to the big cap tech, it goes to reliable brand names. So that's why I bought Microsoft. So it was opportunistic. I still think I'll be able to get Microsoft around 200 a share because cloud is slowing down. And that's been the driver, really, uh, of revenue growth. But you also, uh, you, also covered, you, also, you also yep. covered your snowflake short, right? So, I mean, we're trying to build right. a, a narrative here. And your personal narrative to me today seems to be that you know, what was decidedly negative, at least for now, maybe turns a little bit more positive for however many days ahead. Yeah, until we get into the hard earnings. So Thursday, yeah, inflation numbers are going to come down. They've been trending that way. It doesn't take a genius to see it. Uh, so I think they'll be a little lower. I think areas of inflation will be stubbornly high, like services inflation. Uh, you still see rates going up in hotels. Airlines moderate a little, but still going up, but used car prices, and you can go through them all. Inflation is coming down. But the question is, directionally, everybody knows that. The Fed knows that. But where's it going to? 
The Fed still has a major job there in their hands because it's not two and a half percent. So I do think we've got a runway at least until Thursday. If we see Thursday numbers not being conducive to the market rally continuing, I think you see the market then goes down. You know, the Dow goes down a thousand. The S&P goes down a hundred. Nasdaq, who knows? So right now, yeah, the runway's clear because the market goes up 90 percent of the time. So I'm not going to be a fool. I don't have a bias, a natural bias. I have a bias towards understanding the market, not towards being bearish or bullish. It's so much easier and happier to be bullish all the time. So I'm taking the opportunity when I can and positioning accordingly. And if I can get big in a name like Microsoft, which is very liquid, and in the VOO, then I'm going to do it. Like Joe, I'm underperforming today. But on the one days the market goes down, I'm making money. Okay. And when the market's not having these big moves, I'm also doing better. I, so I'm happy with how I'm I go, Jason Snipe, back to, you know, the, the top question. Do we need to rethink the way we're thinking about the market right now? And maybe those who are looking for a tough first half and a good second half are going to get it wrong or reversed. Yeah, I love to see Weiss remotely positive. That's that's a great Monday for me. So what I, what I will say about just just the data and, and what I've, everyone's already said. I mean, ISM prices paid coming in lower. Um, we've already we already talked about the inflationary numbers. We have CPI coming, uh, you know, on Thursday probably a six and a half percent read. Uh, you know, wage inflation decelerating slightly. And also, if I'm talking about earnings, earnings have been revised down four percent. That's the first. Uh, revision downward since, you know, the third quarter of 2020. So expectations have been lowered. They likely need to go lower. Um, but but these, these are some catalysts that could be, you know, positive for stocks in the near term, which I think, yes, I, I think we can see a scenario where stocks could move, you know, here in the first quarter and into the second <coughs> quarter. And, and my concern always is when everyone's on one side of the boat, you know, it's, it's, it's a good time to p- potentially be contrarian. So that's really what our focus is going forward, looking at the ec- economic data as we continue to do so and, 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 and look at other areas of the markets that have been beaten up. OK. I mean, obviously, we're, we're not naive. I mean, much of it depends on what happens with the Fed, what happens with CPI this week, and then ultimately what they decide to do as a result of that, at least in part of that. Let's bring in our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman. He's joined the desk here. I find it interesting that sort of title of your report today, if you want to call it that, is the tone deaf Fed, in part because there is a question as to whether the allegedly data dependent Fed is really data dependent at all or if they've already made up their mind and set their destination and come hell or high water, they're going there no matter what. I think it's the latter, Scott. I think that if you look at the... um statement in the in the in the uh, uh, minutes this week on last Wednesday where they said no Fed official is forecasting a cut for 2023. I mean, that may that may be true, but how do they know that? How can they be so sure? Um, look at the SCP itself, the statement, the summary of economic projections, 17 of 19 officials over five over five percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then look at what they said last week. Despite the, the wage data coming in weaker, and most importantly, the ISM services data coming in, uh, showing contraction in that sector, no change in the rhetoric. I think they are in a forward guidance mode, a mode in which, Scott, they are uh, going hell or high water to that 5% mark. They have a date with 5% rather than being data dependent and route to 5%. Maybe we just should stop listening to what they say and pay more attention to what they do in the meetings ahead. That when... Uh you know, a Bostic or whoever, Esther George last week come out and, you know, respectively su- suggest, well, we're going to go 
above 5%. We go to go 5.4 and hold it there for a while. I mean, okay, so what? That's what they say now. Why should we take them at their word? Because it's the best gauge I think you have of what they're going to do. Their word? Yeah, I think that's all. That's what you have. I mean, I don't know. Do you have another thing to do, or rather <laughs> no, but, than but what are you going to look at otherwise? But Scott? when we say, see, the problem with that is, as what some have already said, is that well, you can't take them at their word for this because they were wrong before. So let's just see what, in fact, they they do. They. They got the transitory thing so terribly wrong. That's right. And I think that's the issue right now is that they're they're heading, it seems to me, the same kind of sort of monolithic uh, everybody on one side of the boat idea that they decided it was transitory. I'm just surprised they, A, haven't softened their rhetoric given the data, and B, that there isn't a broad range of opinions, it appears, on the FOMC. You look at what the market did, Scott. Look at, look at the two-year note from Friday. Um, and those two step de- steps down, one person talked about the wages earlier on your show. The other step down, if you look at that two-year note from Friday, is that what happened with ISM. The market took that pretty hard in their sense of what the outlook mm-hmm. is for the economy. Uh, we had inflation expectations come down. There's those, that two-step process there. You can see that shelf there in the middle uh, on the way down. What does that look like? Is that kind of an Everest kind of thing? I don't know what if you guys have, have done any climbing or anything like that. And then, and then it's actually trending down 420 again today, Scott. So the data has been weaker. The market is taking it that way. If you look at the spread of the market and the pricing for the probabilities in May, there's a number of opinions out there. There's not among the 19 members of the FOMC. I mean, you say, you know, I I don't know why they haven't changed their language a bit. But in reality, we know the reason they haven't done it is because if they know that if the moment they do, the very stock market and the market in general, the stocks for certain would take off immediately and they can't afford to have financial conditions loosen any more than perhaps they already have and are because that's what the immediate impact would be. I think that's probably right, Scott. I do think, though, that the market is already doing what it's going to do or, or has already loosened financial conditions in that regard. And uh, if they want to d- do some uh, uh, damage, I guess, to the long end of the curve, they could sell bonds out that way. But I think the problem to, for me, Scott, is that they do not appear to be incorporating uh, the, the considerable risk of recession. And what is not talked about enough is the effect of balance sheet reduction. They're going to do a trillion dollars this year. They did 400 billion last year. I I had a conversation with Bullard uh, during a uh, scrum with reporters last week, and I asked him whether or not his formulas. Remember that he has that range of five to seven percent. I said, does that range of what the appropriate rate of the funds rate is incorporate balance sheet reduction? He said no. And I said, does that mean you're being over sufficiently restrictive? And he said, some could argue that. Why should you have a question for Steve? I, I do. Steve, you know, there's talk about and this discussion of let's not listen to what the Fed says. But if you just what they're saying is what they're doing. And if you take a look what their target is, it's two and a half. It's not four. It's not four and a half. And isn't there concern after the disaster of being too easy for too long that we just firm out at four, four and a half percent and that that's not going to be great for the economy on a long-term basis. So they're sticking to their guns. And the fob with that is, what's the chance of the Fed being so dug in at this point in their view that the reverse at the next meeting or even give daylight at next meeting without disastrous numbers for the economy? 
Well, first of all, I don't agree with the idea of not listening to the Fed. I think that's a bit like saying it, it's really hard to see. Let's turn out the lights. Well, I, I don't really. Uh, yeah, let, uh, let me let me change that. Let me change that. With that. But, but let me just uh, tell you, sorry, Steve, me I don't say, think what the, the disaster yeah. here yeah. is that they their last time was that they missed the signals in the economy. They all agreed to one thing, which was that it was transitory, and they didn't have a debate about it. I think that they could they, they could be right, Scott, here, or Steve, that, that the uh, uh, inflation will end up being persistent, just not hearing the debate on the Fed, at least not in public, about what, what the outlook could potentially be. Maybe, maybe you will start hearing that if some of the economic indicators get a little more squirrely than some have, have already Could gotten. Be. I don't know. Yeah. Um, thank you, Steve. That's Steve Leisman. I, I want to move on because I want to talk yeah. about um, tech. You mentioned high beta. Mm-hmm. You know, as the Fed is deemed to get easier and rates come down, obviously, Joe, it's going to be more beneficial for tech, which is having a big day today. No big surprise at all. NASDAQ's up better than 2%. Don't confuse it with fundamentals. It's positioning. That's all it is. This is not something that if you're sitting at home, you say to yourself, there's a paradigm shift where we're returning to the environment of 2020 or 2021 or even predating that easy monetary environment. It understand that rates are going to remain uncomfortably high for an extended period of time. Steve just told you, I fully agree, the balance sheet tightening is going to matter. What this is about is that there has been an underweight positioning towards a lot of these high beta names. I know, but the other Steve just told you that he bought Microsoft, right? I'm already in Microsoft. No, but I'm I'm just saying that is is that a a signal that, okay, I understand there's going to be volatility. These stocks have already come down a lot. So I I hear you on what, what you're saying. But these stocks have already come down a lot. It, yeah, but I, I don't think Steve buying Microsoft is the same as Steve coming forth and saying, OK, I stepped out. I bought DocuSign this morning. I stepped out and I bought some of the emerging software names. I think that's much different. I think Microsoft, the only question that you would have and where you would say, OK, is Joe wrong in his assessment that it's a good long term play is if further valuation compression needs to happen. Well, but that's been the earnings. But that's been the fear. We don't need to, you know, just say, well, he didn't buy ARK stocks. He bought Microsoft. Yeah, okay, fine. Microsoft isn't as as high beta as those other stocks are, as as volatile, Mm -hmm. essentially, is what what we're suggesting. But there are still questions about mega cap valuations, right? Um, as, As it relates to Microsoft, I'm willing to take the other side of that fear that there's going to be further compression for the multiple. There are other names in mega caps that when you look at them like Tesla, I think you have to ask yourself with Tesla, this recovery rally that you're getting, do you want to buy into it or do you want to fade it? I wouldn't buy into it. That's not something that I would be doing right now. Um, I think the universe of the mega caps, Microsoft stands out to me still as the one name that I'll take the other side for now. I'll take the other side for now on the multiple compression. The last point on all of that is I'll acknowledge all of these mega caps have lost significant positive momentum. So I've got at the end of the month the rebalance and the reconstitution for the quality momentum strategy and the ETF that tracks it. Mm -hmm. We own right now Microsoft. We own Apple. That does not mean we moving forward will continue to own them. That does not mean that we're going to sell them. 
All I'm going to acknowledge is that the momentum is waning significantly, and we could easily, the strategy could go in and out through the course of the year. Because Jason, you know, Kramer, for example, is trimming a little Microsoft and NVIDIA. He says it's two of their highest P.E. stocks trading at 23 and 38 times respectively versus an S&P that's at 17. Apple today gets a price target cut by Tony Sakanagi over at Bernstein. He's one of the most well-known analysts on the, on the name. Now, he has argued for months, if not years, that Apple's quote-unquote best days are behind it. He's been, I think, a little more sanguine on that name than most others have been over that period of time. But he goes to 125 from 170. So essentially, the stock's going to do nothing in his estimation because valuation is, in his word, uncompelling. What do you think? Yeah, and for me, Scott, price still continues to matter. I mean, the, the reset as it relates to tech, I still, I still think is underway. You have an S&P forward multiple around 17 times. You know, tech is still about 20 times. You know, so, in, and again, in a, in a market where the Fed is, continues to stay engaged, we're still moving into restrictive policy, you know, two or three potential rate hikes, I think, you know, until that valuation starts to come in, it's, it's not really compelling to me. So I think these, these calls by Kramer and moves in, in tech are prudent. I think that makes a lot of sense in this market. And to Joe's point, I think, you know, the ARC names, the, the non-profitable tech, which we talked a lot about, you know, these are areas that, you know, in a risk-on environment like we have today, they're still not compelling or attractive to me here. You know, but, but names like Microsoft and others in the mega-cap tech space, I think, could still work. But, again, you know, it's, it's about being prudent and, and, and looking at your asset allocation, you know, going forward and, and understanding the environment in which we're in. Liz, tech. Well, look, the, the valuation story, first of all, let's back up. Why do we look at valuations? We don't look at valuations to try to time when we should buy or sell a particular security. We look at them to try to decide what is the forward return potential over the next five years or so. Going back to what Steve said earlier about Microsoft, what, what I heard him say, and Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I heard him say was, if the market's going to give me this little gift and see some of these big cap tech names run because we got one data point about wage growth, maybe we get another data point about CPI this week, then I'll take that little gift. But I don't think that he did it in the sense of suddenly we're bullish on big tech and that's going to be a leader on the other side of no, this. No, I would agree I, with that. I don't think it's going to be a leader either. If you're going to enter for a short-term basis because we're going to get some good inflation data points, I think that's actually okay. But I'm not a short-term trader. So if you look at just where would the growth be, where would I bite if we're trying to find growth, it's probably not in tech. It's probably not even really in large cap at all. Let's be clear, Weiss. I'll let you have the last word before we take a break, too, since mm -hmm. we're sort of talking around your move here. You could be theoretically out of this name at any moment by the by the end of the week. Think I think that's kind of how you've been approaching the market of late as more tactical, perhaps, than you otherwise have done in, in years past. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. And, and Liz, once again, did it great. She could, she could be my mouthpiece at, at any point in time because she says it better than I do. I, I left you hanging on Snowflake. The reason I covered Snowflake is that that was a valuation short, and valuation will continue to come down. I always said quality product, quality company. But in this kind of market, the market's going to go for those names that it knows and drive them great. Plus, there are other shorts in it. What Kramer did was absolutely correct in, uh, in, in both companies because you don't have that valuation boost from free money. You've got the other. So multiples will come down in all those stocks. And NVIDIA has been very choppy in their performance. So I, so I agree with what he did. Um, and 
Yeah, that's my view, being tactical. Steve, Microsoft's 230, the low for this year's 219, the low in November's 213. Are you going to risk to both those lows? Where are you risking to? So I'm risking, I'm actually not looking at Microsoft as my tell on that. What I'm looking at is what the data is and what the market psychology is, which is always difficult to, to ascertain. But right now, I think I've got a free data ride as people focus on CPI on Thursday and believe it's going to come down. Okay. And if it comes down measurably, you can see Microsoft right. get to 250. So let's just be clear, because I, now I, I, I totally get it. It's, it's good CPI, in other words, cooler, right? Hold Microsoft. Right. Bad CPI, hotter, rates go up. Why sells Microsoft? I think it's that simple. Exactly. Exactly. Unless it moves fat, far enough before CPI, I won't take the CPI risk. But. Okay. All right. Coming up, we're going to get to Weiss's other big buy today. Plus, natural gas prices are surging better than 8%. And that's after hitting their lowest level in more than a year on Friday. One member of the investment committee just make a big move in that space. We reveal the trade and we debate it in our chart of the day. We're back. Two minutes. We are back. Let's talk Lululemon. Those shares are dropping big time today after that company revised its guidance down eight and a half percent. Brings me back to Weiss. Why? Because Weiss bought Lululemon. Tell me. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry leading on time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Well, my real tell on buying it was that there were rumors that Jim Labenthal was wearing some Lulu leggings and if, <laughs> if portly, you know, senior citizens and that, you know, can buy them, then there's a whole new market for it, Scott. No, I bought it because if you look at this stock, it's had some disappointments last quarter in the margins as well, and it bounces back. The market loves it. While they do have some competition sort of coming out of there, it's not real. And I still believe you're in a luxury goods environment this is a luxury goods at their price point, but it's also reasonable enough to attract the less well-heeled consumers. So 
It's a great style. I love the product. And anytime it's gotten hurt like this, it's been a buying opportunity. I just thought this was ridiculous, particularly since revenues and earnings are holding firm. And I love management. Now, the other thing I'd say, if you take a look at the chart over the last, whatever, three months or six months, it's been sort of counter market. So yeah, it's had some, uh, some hits when the market's taking hits, but nearly not as much. And in fact, it's continued to move up in a bad market. So, so it's a pretty big trade. Uh, because look, stock was down 33 bucks, which was a huge move, whatever, 12%. So I was able to buy it, and I still bought some after it moved up a little bit. I think I'll make some good money. On what, what I don't know, frankly, offhand, and, and maybe you do, and you know, I don't know how closely you follow mm -hmm. the you know metrics of, of the company, is what the actual revenue growth rate was during the pandemic, and what the projections are post-pandemic. Because right. to me, this seems like the quintessential pandemic stock from the retail group. I mean, you know, we've identified them from this group or that group. And then if there was one right. from the retail group and not obviously not counting Amazon, okay, uh, that this was it. Mm -hmm. And that there's just no way that they're gonna be able to live up to that kind of growth rate or whatever that number was during the pandemic. Am I wrong? Uh, yes and no. Uh, some. It, the companies that benefited from the pandemic that aren't benefiting any longer, like Peloton, like Zoom, like Teladoc, et cetera, you've already seen that they're reverting back to normal and actually falling below what their growth rate was going into the pandemic. Other companies found a whole new audience and found this godsend to their, to their business models that help propel them in sustainable growing companies, like a Moderna, for example, we talk about all the time, where, hey, where would Moderna be but for the COVID vaccine? I don't think it'd be where it is now. So I think the same is for Lulu, that it attracted a whole new bunch of buyers to it that are continuing to drive it. And the ones that own it, hey, those clothes wear out eventually, even though they're well built. So I think it's a survivor. Do I think the growth rate would be the same in six months? Maybe not, but I'm not going to worry about that for now. Nor do I think for a retailer, I'm sanguine about the valuation. I still think it's a high valuation, but I look at it that my bias is a high valuation. That's not the market's bias. Market has enough opportunity, like with a Chipotle, frankly, to say this is ridiculous for a restaurant. This is ridiculous. No, I know, but does, for, it, does for, this deserve you know, a multiple? Does, does this deserve a multiple that I see on my screen here that's double the S&P? Yep. Right now, consensus, yes, because look at the growth going forward. So analyst estimates are, because the company's not estimating, you know, providing guidance out that far. Right now, analysts are, and they firmly believe that growth rate is sustainable. Not, not quite double, of course. That's the forward P at 28. The current quarter looks to yep. me at 33. So you're near a double of the of the 17. All right. So we're going to do not gas later right. because Weiss does have a buy that plays right into that move today. Uh, and it's a huge day up near 9%. But up next, we have the ETF playbook for managing market volatility. We're right back. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, 
Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Travelers streaming into China as the country reopened its borders to international visitors for the first time since the start of the pandemic. Incoming travelers will no longer need to quarantine, marking a significant change in China's zero COVID policy. In Hong Kong, hundreds of thousands of people are expected to travel into mainland China in the coming weeks. For the first time in 15 years, the American Academy of Pediatrics releasing new guidelines for treating childhood obesity. New recommendations emphasize a need for early treatment and include medications and surgery for the first time. The guidance comes as childhood obesity rates have continued to rise over the past decade and a half, increasing from 17 to 20 percent. And Republican Ben Sass officially resigned from the Senate yesterday. The Nebraska politician is leaving the Senate in his second term to become the president at the University of Florida. Sass is known for his outspoken criticism of former President Trump, and he was one of seven Republican senators to vote to convict Trump in his second impeachment trial. Scott, back over to you. All right, Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. Let's get to Bob Pisani now. He has today's ETF edge. Hey, Bob. Hello, Scott. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. ETFs continued to rake in money in 2022, but aside from the usual inflows into plain vanilla index ETFs, some actively managed funds attracted enormous inflows. Let's talk to the man who runs one of 2022's most successful ETFs. Hamilton Reiner runs the J.P. Morgan Equity Premium Income ETF. The symbol is J-E-P-I. Hamilton, you had one of the big hits out there in 2022. You beat the S&P by 14%. Uh, including dividends, you buy low volatility stocks, but with a twist. Explain, this is classic active management here. Absolutely. So it is 100% active management. We first start with our 21 fundamental analysts at J.P. Morgan that identify those stocks that are most attractively priced. And then we look for those stocks that have less earnings variability. So it ends up having a much more of a higher quality footprint. And then the twist, as you put it, is selling out-of-the-money S&P 500 index options for income. The options both reduce volatility and add income to strategy. So it gives you a multi-prime approach to return. Yeah. Dividends, options, premium, and then some of the upside, Bob. And it's lower volatility stocks, too. I see AbbVie, ExxonMobil, Health, Coca-Cola in here. And that really helped last year, of course. Now, active managers had one of their best years I can ever remember. Almost 60% beat their bogeys. That almost never happens. Why? What was it about 2022 that made it such a successful year for active management? I, I think because valuation matters. And for years and years, people would just buy stocks based upon iClicks or other aspects. But the fact is, fundamentals matter. And when fundamentals matter, active management works. Yeah. You know, the downside here is you get income out of the market beyond dividends. But then you give up an enormous amount of upside because you're, you're selling these calls out there and you've 
basically betting that the market's not going to go up too much, right? So you, you sure. give up upside. There will be some foregone upside, but if done well, you should have a better sharp ratio, better risk-adjusted returns, Bob. Yeah, you know, uh, the amazing thing is the soft landing really is, is back for you here. So look, we're going to talk a lot more about this, folks. We're going to have much more on the successful active ETF strategy for 2023. That's coming up on ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Now, Hamilton is going to be joined by Dave Nodding. He's the financial futurist for Vetify. We're going to look at the surprisingly strong inflows that ETFs had in 2022. It was a big surprise to everyone. And we'll look at what sectors we'll see inflows for 2023. That's ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime Report. We'll be right back. Huge move in natural gas today. It's surging right around 10%. Look at that. Uh, it's been 8%, 9%, 10%. Uh, just a huge day. And it was down 17% last week. So it's a snapback there. We've made it our chart of the day for those very reasons. Weiss, your chart of the day in this space is Devon. You bought Devon. I did. I did. I, I bought it on Friday uh, because I was looking for, after that number, uh, stocks that perform. I've always liked Devon. It used to be a core position in the past. What I see on Devon is, again, an excellent management team. That's a constant theme with me. I see a stock that's trading at uh, a mid-teens free cash flow rate, trading at about five to six times EBITDA, and trading at a PE, which is less important in these companies, frankly. Uh, that's, you know, mid to high single digits. Uh, so I liked it. I thought I had comfort there. Plus the yield, I'll channel Jenny Harrington here, yields a monstrous yield also, which the company just put in after the sale of one of their assets. So, you know, plus I don't think that what we saw in terms of the weather patterns were going to last through the entire winter. So I got lucky with the pop today in nat gas prices. I frankly didn't even think about that. I just thought about the fact that nat gas was down so much, eventually it would go up because it's such a highly speculated area, all commodities are, particularly energy, that you tend to build up the shorts on this side. And Joe would speak to that better than I do. So that's why I bought it. I thought it was a low risk buy at that point. What do you think, Joe? CTA is a short natural gas. It was at an 18 month low at 352 on Friday. Uh, fundamentals, warm weather throughout the, you know, the, the United States and the rest of the world. So that's kind of been uh, pressuring the spot price of natural gas. As it relates to Devon, it is one of the favorable natural gas names. It's included in the energy holdings uh, for the quality momentum in Joe T that tracks it. And I think looking forward, let's remember you're in the middle of significant commodity rebalancing going on right now. So a lot of what you're witnessing in the tape is being impacted from that rebalancing. You got to come through the other side of that to see the realness of technicals and fundamentals come through. Your personal favorites or holdings, which obviously reflect your favorites in this space, EOG? Yes, for sure. Pioneer? EOG, well, EOG is going to give you the diversification that's going to include the natural gas. PXD mm -hmm. is more specific related to crude oil itself. And then I still maintain a position in Valero based on the belief that there is lower crude oil. Refiners will benefit from that. Jason, last comment to you, not so much, you know, because of what Nat Gas is doing, just because Chevron was one of your stock summit picks. Yeah, so energy and energy was a sec my sector pick. And obviously, we've seen a lot of outsized performance from energy. But to, to Weiss's and Joe's point, I mean, from a price perspective, energy is still trading at 10 times forwards, which is a discount to the market. I just feel like the supply demand 
dynamics still exist. You know, free cash flow uh, generation has been very strong in this space. And they've done a, just a lot from a capital discipline perspective. So I continue to like energy, and I still think it could work in 2023. All right, we'll take a quick break. Come back. Santoli joins us with his midday word next. Plus, we're getting ready to grade your trade. Email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade. We'll be right back. All right, Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, joins us from the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, we were coiled up. That's, that's no big surprise. Uh, the question now is how long can it last? Yeah, and Scott, it would be slightly surprising if the market just continued to ramp without a rest into what we know is coming in terms of the CPI. And earnings season to a lesser degree. Today, uh, the bombed out mega caps just getting a little bit of a reprieve is, is kind of a, a big part of the story. I'm not sure that that necessarily fits with what we saw last week, which is, you know, people genuinely coming into this year uh, relatively underexposed to risk, not really positioned for a benign economic outcome. And then you got enough rebuilding of evidence for a, a softish landing type scenario that at least you can't rule it out. So to me, it's all about sliding around the probability spectrum and saying maybe things don't fall apart all that quickly and people are not uh, prepared for it. So that to me is what we have. And you also see this rotation taking shape here, uh, which is somewhat a kind of a healthy rhythm where, you know, healthcare and financials take a pause uh, and some of the areas that were hit harder uh, do manage to come back a little bit. We're still below uh, those levels where the market would really prove that it had uh, broken more decisively higher, 4,000-ish on the S&P. We'll see what uh, the CPI brings, but I'll see you in a few hours for your last yep. word of the day. We'll see how this day finishes up. That's Mike Santoli at the Stock Exchange. Grade My Trade is up next. You can send an email, halftime at CNBC.com. Of course, you can tweet us as well. We're right back. All right. Grade My Trade. Joey, you're up first, okay? Uh, from Jim in Pennsylvania, bought AbV, which you own, in the Joe T, at 66, 63, and 141. Should I cash in half of that? What do you think? So, first of all, the grade on that is obviously an A+. What I would do is I would take half of the position and put a stop in at the most recent buy, which is at 141. Keep your eye on healthcare overall. That would be my advice. Both Merck and AbV today are under pressure. Healthcare is under pressure as we're seeing this internal rotation within the market. Okay. Jason Snipe, Palo Alto Networks is the subject of our next one. You own that. From Jonathan, just bought Palo Alto at 138. Thought on that and whether you think it's a good long-term trade at that level. Yeah, so I got to give it a day. You know, I really like Palo Alto. I've, as I've talked about, it was one of my summit picks here. You know, the, the stock was down 25% last year. Cybersecurity <laughs> theme that is not going away anytime soon. Obviously, it's an expensive stock trading around 38 times, uh, but it's down from 56, around 56 times, which is a two-year average. A lot of free cash flow. It's obviously growing, you know, 30, 30% long-term growth rate. So I, I'd like this trade here. It might be some volatility that we're experiencing this year, but for a long-term hold, I think it's an A. I like it. Okay. Uh, Weiss, lastly to you, Leon in Canada. Uh, it's about your Rivian short. So you can update on where we stand on that as you answer this question, too. I followed Weiss and sold 300 shares of Rivian at $29.46 in late November. What do we think here? Well, I did cover some of it. Again, it was a market call. Uh, I'll actually put it back out. 
but I, I still am short Rivian. Uh, here's my grade. First of all, you pick the absolute right professor to, to follow into their class. Uh, it's a fantastic <laughs> trade. Uh, Rivian's going to lose money for as long as the as you can see, and they've got great cash there, but they're going to keep depleting that cash pile, and it's extremely competitive. I don't know when they'll make money, so I wouldn't own this thing. It was purely a function of free money. You don't have that anymore. So I would stay short. However, I would caution that you got to manage shorts aggressively because you never know when a data point's going to come out and that you're going to get squeezed there because it is heavily shorted. Okay, thank you, for Professor. We should have proof of identification on these submittals because I think Steve sends them in for himself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, keep your <laughs> yeah, trades I've, coming I've got in. a server in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Send an email to askhalftime at cnbc.com. As we said many times, you can tweet us as well. We'll continue to grade your trades. We'll do final trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Got a big OT, 4 o'clock Eastern time today. Cameron Dawson, Victoria Green, Shannon Sakosha, all with me, top of the program. Kick around the markets. What do they make of the rally? Do they think it has, they, do they think it has some staying power? And then Tom Lee is with me. You know what we're going to discuss with Mr. Lee, and we'll do that at 4 o'clock Eastern. I hope you all are there. All right. All this week, our stock summit uh, continues. We've got new picks coming. But since Liz is here today, we wanted to get your opinion of some of, at least from a sector standpoint, you've got Joe, Jason Snipe, and Steve Weiss right in front of you here. You've got their individual names that have already been picked. Real estate, energy, healthcare. each person having a different idea of what sector is going to work best. What do you think? I think I'm in the best spot. I get to pick apart everybody else's and not have to give my That's own. That's right. So I'll start with real estate. I think I heard correctly that it was much a valuation story. Mm-hmm. Um, I would choose financials, and I think I also heard you say that you would prefer if real estate was still a part of financials. I would agree with a financials call. I don't think I'm ready for real estate yet. I still think that there's a lot of pain to come. Even if we're looking at REITs and not residential, I, I still think there's pain to come, especially in the consumer and anything that is uh, related to that. Moving on to, let's see, healthcare. Yeah, can we go back to the, the wall with everybody's picks, please? That's Steve, there we I go. think, for healthcare. Yeah, yeah. Guessing Moderna. Just, just a shot in the dark on that one. Yeah, profitable, <laughs> profitable healthcare for Weiss. <laughs> Yeah, so healthcare, look, I've long believed that in an environment where growth has been pressured, healthcare is a good place to find growth for the long term and the short term if you don't want technology and if you don't want communication. So I think that's actually a good call. And then Jason Snipe with energy, I'm guessing. Uh, Look, energy, at least for the first quarter of this year, energy stocks, I think, can hold up pretty well. They've been very shareholder friendly. There have been buybacks. They've got a great dividend yield and investors still like those. I also think there's a nice floor under energy prices or crude oil prices as the government has to rebuild the reserves. Not shown there, but we did have several pickers of financials. As, is that your favorite sector for, for this year? It is, yeah. I'm not the, so? the first one to say that. I won't be the last. Uh, part of it is a valuation story. Look, financials are trading far below the index, second cheapest uh, in the index. And I think a lot of that work has been done. There's just less downside. And it's almost as if they're overly prepared for a recession. And I just don't think that there's going to be a ton of pain, even in a recessionary scenario. And I think financials can help lead on the way out of it. What's your final trade for today? 
My final trade for today is mid-cap, an, oh, okay. an oft-forgotten asset class. They play in that sort of $4 billion to $14 billion market cap range. So if small caps are too juicy for you, mid-caps okay. are a good place to be, All also right. trading at nice valuations. Weiss, final trade today. GXO, big investor day on Thursday. Goldman upgraded today. It's recession resistant. Jason Snipe. BDX, procedural volumes will pick up in 23. Stay long. All right. And finally, Joe Terranova. Staying long, Freeport McMoran. All right. FCX. All right. That does it for us. I'll see you all in overtime. Again, Tom Lee joining me today. Don't miss our conversation then. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.